Hello, welcome to the Co-Design in Publics podcast, a space where we bring together activists, practitioners, and academics to examine and discuss design ideas on the public realm. My name is Juan Subillaga. My name is Asim Inam. And we are your hosts for this episode. For the next few episodes, we will be sharing with you some of the conversations we had in our first Co-Designing Publics International Workshop. This workshop took place in May 2021 and brought together a series of network partners around the world to learn from the work they do in their cities. Today we will start with Elisa Sutanujaya, the Executive Director of the Ruyak Center for Urban Studies in Jakarta. During the workshop, she told us the story of three of their recent projects. In the last year, Ruyak has seen the pandemic as an opportunity to provide access to water in informal settlements in Jakarta. She explained to us how they did this in one Kampung in North Jakarta. Probably it's similar uh, what happened in many global South cities by the time the pandemic coming, especially in the cities that cannot provide good access to water. It's must be quite difficult to wash your hand regularly during the pandemic. So this is the advocacy that we doing in the earlier time of the pan pandemic last year. Since we work uh, quite long time in Kampung, Kampung for is uh, our local name for informal settlement. So we propose to city government, in this case, Jakarta provincial government, to provide emergency access for water in Kampung that, that usually uh, don't have access to uh, water. So I, I call it a water as a public infrastructure. And we saw the pandemic as opportunity to provide a long-term solution for access to water. And in uh, along the way, because it's uh, always a negotiation between the city government the water company providers, the local people, the local stakeholder, even like the local uh, leaders, the informality always there, but it's always fluid at the same time because you have to ne negotiate. And also it's become a tools of collective action and it's kind of like easing our way to organizing people for another case after this. So a brief introduction on the area. So the area called Muara Anke. Uh, it started to become a kampung in 1970s and mostly by uh, the residents there is a fisher fox. So it's on the tip of North Jakarta. And yes, it's highly dense as most kampung. And the first eviction and also fire become like a routine for the kampung. Even uh, the residents can get, uh, one resident can get evicted for nine times, but what they do is kind of like moving around inside the kampung and then from affected into from one place and then move to another place and <laughs> and then com sometimes come back to the original place though so it's pretty much common in Muarangke. so yeah it's a, they have a very limited basic services especially clean waters we have a survey uh, four years ago and then residents there if you compare to the like middle class who got pipe water they have to pay like five to six times more expensive because they have to buy water. 
We see pandemic also as an opportunity for, for the kampung to provide the access for water because uh, the water company reluctant to serve the kampung because it's considered as a liability because they have to provide more subsidies than other uh, neighborhood, other stable neighborhood. At the end of the day, we, we managed to get permit from the water company because the provincial government also agree with us. So uh, we what we propose is to provide a network of pop-up clean water stations in order uh, for the residents to get at least they can have a hand washing facility and the, how we manage the water uh, water network is a cooperative that been set up by the residents in one of the kampung. Even though is the access the issues about access to water become a tool of organizing uh, through the cooperative, but at the same time, the cooperative have to face another competition with the local actors, usually like uh, traditional leaders that become a regime, uh, the local regime inside the kampung. So it's become a new contestation between the, the locals as well because of these activities. But the pop-up water station also become a new mingle uh, interaction point. Some of the water station is already located in the public area, such as like most or like uh, near to the small park where the people gather. But sometimes uh, this one also become a new hangout space as well. So, so this is the process and how we plan and also for the implementation. Uh, basically, it's, uh, uh, even though it's kind of like only providing water network, but since it's, it's a free one, so it has to be dealt with a lot of bureaucracy and uh, sometimes dealing with the quite formal procedure, you know, like Rujak have to do a due diligence with the water company. We have to show our proof as an organization and some which is quite impossible if for the kampung as a become informal to have a collaboration with the water company. So they have to come through us and then, then connect it to the system. We propose in the beginning that this actually a very simple construction process because they are a water company. Uh, they have a certain rule to do. If there is a project, then they have, they have to do small tenders and or something like that. So, uh, and the people who can all uh, join the tender process only uh, company with another company, construction company with a certain license and permit. So it is quite impossible for the local people to also get a job through this process. So at the end of the day, what we intend to put a more collaborative process in this scheme, but because of the bureaucratic and also in the name of transparency uh, or good governance or good corporate governance, then we cannot really put a collaboration process uh, or collaboration effort to be materialized. And in the end, the contractor uh, and have to be the one that uh, work uh, on the side. The second story today is about Rujak's project to formalize the Kampung Aquarium in Jakarta. So this is a story about Kampung Aquarium, which is got affected in 2016. So in within one day, two days, uh, the whole Kampung become like this. And at that time in 2015, the eviction is uh, happened quite a lot in Jakarta. So. Even within two years, from 2015 to 2016, there are like 300 eviction happen. So because we want to 
avoid the eviction happen in the future. So uh, together with other organization and also grassroots organization like Urban Poor Consortium and Jakarta Urban Poor Network, and also with around 25 kampungs in Jakarta, we have kind of like a strategy and, and make kind of like a network and collaboration to work together and to kind of like prove to the public and to the government that we don't really have to change into social housing like or like a vertical housing or what government want, but we can also live side by side with the kampung still exists in, in Jakarta. And the question is about how kampung can be relevant to the current situation, especially with, with the challenge of either climate crisis or like about issues of pollution density or of a crowded or, or even issues like, uh, like social issues and also health issues. Before we go into the future that we would like to achieve together, then we have to uh, holding our ground first. So first we have to make sure that the place is still can be become a home for the Kampung people. For this case, Kampung Aquarium residents. So like a week, I think two weeks after the eviction, uh, suddenly the police and the military, they return to their base. So the, so the people come back and occupy back to the land. Uh, and then they build this massive tents and temporary shelter. And since Rujak, also some of the Rujak staff and also founders actually are architects. So we always found that the design have uh, this strength to convince some party, especially like people like in government that is possible, but sometimes you have to see see the image. So six months after the eviction, we working together with Kampung Aquarium residents and then we proposed that actually if you want us to follow the current building regulation, the city planning, the zoning law and everything, yeah, it's possible and it could be nice as well and it could be interesting, creative and whatever whatever uh, you wish and then we can make it happen so this design being showing by the residents and since this is the, the eviction happened a year before the governor election this kampung become popular within the media so the, a lot of media coming to to interview the people and it's easier for the residents there to put the design into and then and then share it to the public and because of the kampung become part of the political contestation that happened during the governor election and the design as well become the language between the political party uh, at that time even one political party who support one uh, one of the candidate they also use this picture without asking us first and then put it on their social media so at the end of the day the design also become a political language so we, as a way to put it into different contexts, we invite artists to also work and collaborate with us. So either making a documentary or making an installation together with the community there, with the residents there. So the art activities that we conduct, we call it uh, ideal home contest. So we ask the residents to imagine what you would you be like 
if you uh, after the eviction what is your ideal home after this eviction and some of them come back use the design to as a way to to react after the eviction they want to make a movable home so it can be easily moved so i think the memory is this happened like one year after the eviction the memory of the eviction still reside in their mind uh, and still influenced on how they behave The second process, we also have a legal action together with the Jakarta Legal Aid. It's also a good experience for the residents because usually in the past, they tend not to, to dealing with the law institution. They tend to avoid the police and etc. But in this case, they have to be in the center of the judicial system. But the trial itself, during the trial, many residents also join the, the trial. I think about 90 people also become a party to sue the government. Uh, so like at least 50 people in every trial days, they always come to the court. So it become like a attraction for the attendance of the court as well because usually court session never been that uh, merry you know the, with uh, full of people so it's quite interesting so we also doing a, a lot of advocacy even to the international organization like we inviting UN special rapporteur to visit the kampungs including kampung aquarium so at that time And one, like I said before, uh, the eviction happened a year before the governor election. So within the network of Kampung, they managed to get a political contract with one of the candidates. And he won. Apparently, at the end of the day, he won. Uh, so he he needs to implement the contract. By the time you implement the contract, is even is it really ignite the systemic change? Because usually, if you want to sign a contract, then usually it only benefit to few people who sign the contract. But at the beginning of the of his governorship, the governor tried to change a lot of or make a new set of regulation, which is also benefit. Not only the people who signed the contract, but also to the other kampung as well. So, of course, the government cannot make a discriminatory regulation or a discriminatory policy. So, starting only for from the 25 kampung who, who signed the contracts, because of this political contract, now we, he has to make a policy that apply to the whole city. So, that's including around 300 kampung who also get a benefit from these contracts. So after this political contract, he promised to do a community action planning, but not only in the kampung uh, that located where the contract signed, but also in other kampung as well, which is the citywide. So for the kampung aquarium case, in the beginning, we saw that they live in this kind of condition. Now, after we have a new governor, the government agreed to build the temporary shelter, the proper one, so they can live in more favorable condition, more health, more clean condition. And so they can start this redesign process and then rebuilding process for the kampung. Apart from their struggle from the ruin into rebuilding the kampung, we as an organizer of the residents there, we managed to influence the residents there that the process that happened currently in Kampung Akrayum have to be shared to the public because this is really a rare opportunity where you can rebuild your Kampung together with the government. So what we did since 2018, we have a field school and also workshop which is open for public and during the in the field school and the workshop 
we discuss about a lot of things. Uh, for example, what kind of public space do you want to have inside the kampung? And in this picture, is a is actually the workshop in 2019. At that time, we discussed about what kind of economic activities that you wish to have. How can you manage to live from the tourism? What kind of tourism activities that you want to have? Because they are located in the heritage area. And what kind of management that you want to have inside your kampung? And what kind of food or a product that you want to produce after you rebuild your kampung? So the workshop itself is always combined between the residents, the government. So the government always send their stuff that related to the to the issues of the, the topic of the workshop and also to the pub and also to general public. So we have architects also join uh, students and sociologues and quite different kind of people. So it's also opening up the residents to all kind of people as well and also to do new thinkings. So and by the end of the project they have to they explain it to the public and during the during this session the mayor of North Jakarta also present and most of the workshop result it become a government program for the Kampung Aquarium. So it's quite interesting to me that and also to our organization how the deliberation process happening within this field school can also become part of the government policy as well. Even though it's very local, in this case, in Kampung Aquarium. Now they are on the rebuilding process. It's going to be vertical Kampung because, again, this is one of the negotiations that we have to do uh, in the design process. So the government have a set of rules about this current location. They have the sounding system and everything about, and also like the FAR, about, uh, like the building height and everything that have to be followed. And all kampung usually, they don't follow the government regulation in, in terms of building regulation. But in this case, because the people want to be formalized as well, then they agree to follow the building regulation and then they agree to change their living style from landed house to the vertical kampung. So, and this is another deliberation process that happened outside the government. Usually, if the building built by the government, then how you occupy the building will be up to the government. But in this case, the residents, they try to do it first and then propose it to the government. So this is a deliberation process, uh, the uh, mechanism when they ask the people to choose their units. Uh, it's a quite democratic process. So they have system where the old people uh, or the uh, people who got sickness, they can get a unit that close to the first floor with easier access and is based from with your age. So if you are young family, then you get a flat on the fourth floor, on the top floor. So in the beginning, they agree with the, the rule of game and then, then they select who's your neighbor. So it's quite fun and also enjoyable process for them as well. Because, and it's uh, become, we have, uh, we quite happy to be there as well because it's not as tense that we expect to be, but it's also uh, fun to watch as well. For the third story, Elisa explained how they are currently working with Transjakarta to make major improvements in the public realm inside bus stations. 
we influence them to what we call it informalizing public transport. We saw public transportation system not only as a system to move people from one spot to another spot, but we also believe that transportation system is a public space as well because you, you can easily meet new people or you can face each other inside the bus system or, if, or even the train system. So what we want to put here is to put the social dimension in the public transportation. So usually when you discuss about public transportation, they see it as a sectoral business inside the city. So if you you always calculate about the cost and the public transportation route is always based on the economic and calculation to predict mobility pattern and sometimes to calculate transport demand. And you're talking about transport-oriented development because you can get a land value capture from the certain site that can all also uh, have a higher floors and etc. In order to find, so at the end of the day, there are, uh, for cities, usually the public transportation system also become a cash. Uh, register for the city government because you can increase the tax and everything. And then usually bus stop become a non-place, you know, because uh, people can, the designer of the public transit see the bus stop, he have to be efficient uh, where the people wait and then come and go and do transit. But that's it. Nothing else happened. But at the same time, it's a transit space. It's a place that you can have unavoidable encounters. You never know who you're going to meet. It's sometimes in the tense and unfamiliar environment. So it's unpredictable as well. So it happens in everyday life. And you can also have a daily social interaction if you are a regular. But this is, uh, and then most of the bus stop in, in Transjakarta is located on the big space like this one. So for example, uh, this is one bus stop in nearby the university district in Jakarta. So you have this very small bus stop and in order to connect you to another bus stop, sometimes you have to go to a very dark area like this, looks like a cage. But outside the cage actually is a big public space like, and you can have street vendors over there. And the street vendors over there can also still sell their, their food to the user. But you have to go through these skates and sometimes they have to make a small hole so they can deliver goods to the public transport user. So the how bus stop design in Jakarta is they always alienate the current situation or the publicness inside the city. So it's always like this gate, it's a lot of walls and it only direct you to the transit, but never really interact with the surroundings. And the transit system is kind of like connecting a lot of spaces, but they never really connect to the kampung. So, so where the people mostly live in kampung uh, usually is a uh, lower middle class, uh, so they don't get the benefit of the public transportation. So this is one way that we try been to inform the Transjakarta operator that they have to open up the system into and integrate it with the kampung. So now we are doing a propose a new route that connect kampung with the Transjakarta system uh, by using a paratransit that already happened within the kampung. And actually, Jakarta government also, or sometimes the public transportation company, they also realized that the public transportation can also serve as a social interaction as well. So this is one activities that happened during Chinese New Year. 
some they invite you know this is what i don't know what you call it in english but we call it barongsai tiger dance to have a performance inside the, one of the train uh, it's a quite crowded train quite popular train actually uh, that connect Jakarta and surrounding cities and usually this kind of activities uh, become more uh, frequent so it's gradually the transit system not only become a mobility vehicle but also become a social space as well even though it's a very quite regulated space you can always find a security it always be clean every day but sometimes you can also see the surprise like here inside the public uh, transportation so we've been working together with Transjakarta since the beginning of this year. And what we propose is to make a non-space, the bus stop, which is the boring bus stop, into to a new public space. It can also become place of, not only place for transit, but also leisure as well. And also, most importantly, a social space. So we have a design charrette. This is the first time that for Transjakarta operator to opening up to the public to participate in the design process. Usually what they did is just give assignment to or give a tender to a architecture company to design bus stop. That's it. But this time they agree that this can be a design thread. It become a workshop together with the people who live in or work in a nearby the transit system. So they agree to redesign the whole area of this bus stop and during the process the design process because this is a design thread and the participant kind of like agree that fans have to be gone you know you have to open up and also incorporate with the area surrounding area especially with the street vendors and etc so we, we are currently on the design development process. So uh, Transjakarta agree that they will change the new design base from the design process, the result. And the result will be, we hope that the result will not only become a good bus stop with proper standard, but also become a new social space where people can also meet and also can mingle and also interact. Stay tuned. After the break, we will have a commentary on Rujak's work by Professor Abdumalik Simon. I mean, just to maybe try to put these Rujak attainments into some kind of larger context to amplify just what an accomplishment this kind of work actually is within the Jakarta context, just to maybe make a couple of points. One is that you have a context where for over 30 years, you had a ruling political regime whose basic orientation was to in intentionally dumb down the population, which is really to do everything possible 
to really curtail any kind of demonstration of collective intelligence or also a kind of sense of active local political life. And given that, then the compensation for this was is that such collective intelligence, I mean, it didn't go away, but it was demonstrated through much more tacit and intricate choreographies of everyday economies, everyday livelihoods, piecing together collective operations largely under the radar. But being under the radar meant having to configure things of a great deal of sort of dissimulation, a great deal of interdependencies amongst things that wouldn't seem to be plausible to go together. So it was in some sense the designing of improbabilities that was in some sense the kind of mode of operation through which a sense of collective intelligence was demonstrated. I mean, of course, now for now some, I guess, going on 25 years that there has been a kind of different kind of political game, but a political game which in some ways is not, to some extent, not less cynical than the new order in many respects. So to have attained this kind of notion of a political contract, on the part of a governor committing to particular policies in a negotiation with is a really a kind of important advance in a kind of local ur- urban politics because it goes beyond sort of vote banks i mean because even though communities offered their vote as part of being participants of this contract it was a kind of more explicit negotiation of, of mutual rights and responsibilities that is an attainment but it, but it does mean that given the sort of history of the way in which districts and kampungs operate in Jakarta, that to do these kinds of mobilizations of collective effort, even around the use of new infrastructures, as Elisa was pointing out in terms of water, uh, in terms of new constructions, new in-situ constructions, that it still remains quite a difficult challenge in many respects. For example, in areas where Rujak is not working, in more formalized districts that still retain many of the elements of Kampung, there is this classic district called Tanatingi, which is probably the most dense area of Jakarta, where the district administrator would often say that the place is ungovernable. Not ungovernable in terms of just because things are so bad, but ungovernable in terms of just simply the multiplicity of different kinds of forms of social organization and local authority at work. It is an incredibly heterogeneously composed district of both in terms of income, regional background, but also in terms of just the complexity of how things are run and the dependency that residents have on those kinds of complexities that are oftentimes opaque when attempted to be looked at in aggregate. I mean, at a kind of neighborhood block by block level, I mean, it's sort of, it can become clear what's happening, but when you try to scale it up to the level of the district itself, it becomes nearly impossible to try to apprehend any kind of the work on the sense of kind of a public domain, 
with transport systems is really important. And it's also important because it says something about the changing nature of kampungs themselves. As a colleague of both Elisa and mine, Camille Mohammed, who's an activist architect in Jakarta, always says, don't look at the kampung as a community. Don't look at the kampung as a kind of coherent residential space. Think of the kampung as a platform, a platform that mediates a wide range of articulations across a lot of different kinds of spaces. So the kampung is a kind of platform, not to look at as a kind of coherent residential or community unit. It doesn't foreclose that there are not aspects of kampungs that are that, but to see the kampung really reduce it to a certain sense of a community, he says, doesn't really grasp what's taking place. And I think that in many kampungs now in Jakarta, one sees this reflected in the acceleration of rates of turnover. That is, for any given residence, the number of people living there over time is shifting quite rapidly. There's research now being done in Kampung Malayu, which looks at the average length of stay in a particular in a unit. And that length of stay is beginning to shrink significantly just over, over the past several years. So it does mean that in some sense, more people are circulating more people are thinking about residential destinations in more provisional terms. So this emphasis on using the process of moving and transportation as a kind of public domain, as a point of, of deliberation, information, interaction, I think is reflects in some ways this shift to more intensive provisionality. Of course, there are many factors at work in that provisionality, both that are enforced and voluntary. But I think that this move is really interesting on Rujak's part to think about these places in motion. And then finally, because of a kind of public sphere that is in some sense mediated by media and the way in which, I mean, Jakartans are famous for their cynicism. I know Lisa and I, we've talked about this before. There is, people come together a lot through social media, making constant jokes and constant cynical jokes about the way things take place, from politicians to social figures to everything becomes the object of this kind of collective derision. And in part reflects in some sense that even though Indonesia has a long history of social movements, of trade union. People will come out onto the streets with, I mean, for example, the, one of the big objects of such cynicism was the passage last year of something known as the omnibus law, which under the official auspices of trying to create more work for Indonesians, under the auspices of being a kind of to get all the regulatory things right in order to create more jobs became a kind of package which severely curtail environmental rights, criminalize many aspects of public deliberation, especially when it comes to mining, the extraction industries, 
it represented a sort of height of sort of political cynicism. So in some sense, the fact that Jakarta being now the world's largest urban region of some 35 million people and so heterogeneous in the terms of through which it is composed, coupled with its environmental precarity and a great absence of real dynamic public life, that these kinds of mediated expressions of collective thought expressed through this kind of constant stream of joke making, of cynicism, is in some sense creates an atmosphere in Jakarta of that really could question any effort, could make do work of the kind of stuff that Rujak is doing, in some sense potentially problematic. So I just wanted to say these things in order to really amplify just what kind of attainments these are on Rujak's part, that this is a real sense of accomplishment given some of these larger contextual features. Thank you for joining us in today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when we release a new episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at CodesignPublix or Instagram at CodesigningPublix. This podcast is part of the Codesigning Publix Research Network, a project funded by the UK Arts and Humanities Research Council and hosted at Cardiff University.